This is Sports Cutting Edge for ASTN, the Australian Sports Technologies Network. Here's your host, Lockie Wills. Hello and welcome to Sports Cutting Edge. Today we have a State of the Union analysis for you. We're going to look at the state of sports technology as an industry in Australia. We'll cast our eye a little further afield to Asia Pacific and we'll take in a global perspective as well. To do that, we are joined by a leading statesman of sports tech, the chair of the body that has driven sports tech from being a minor player to now a blockbuster acquisition and part of the Australian sports economy. It is ASTN's chair, Dr. Martin Schlegel. Martin, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me again, Lockie. Always a pleasure. And, uh, mate, it is great to have you on. And we've got the latest analysis that ASTN have delivered with the innovation report of 2023. We're going to delve into that. Uh, it's an interesting time to have you on as well, Martin. You know, the first time you're on this show was 2021, and it was a time where capital markets were flush with cash. We had loose monetary policy, uh, V-shaped recovery as lockdown started to uh, rescind and the world was opening up. We had you on last year, 2022, where supply chain crisis, inflation starting to bite. And now it's a really interesting time for our sports tech companies, for the individuals and the organizations in Australia because capital markets have tightened. There's fears of recession. Uh, Germany's just entered a technical recession, fears in the US, Australia. So interest rates continue to rise. It's a really interesting time. And today is the opportunity for you out there listening to get some ex expert analysis of how you can power through this time and the fact that the, the sunny skies will be here again. And what we're seeing, Martin, through your innovation report is that sports tech as an industry continues to grow, despite the fact that it has been in a, a relatively difficult last 12 months in the overall economic sense of the world. Um, the industry grows. It's grown from last year. It's now valued annually at $4.25 billion. It's more than one in 10 of every dollar that's spent on Australian sport. You must be incredibly optimistic about sports tech in this country, mate. Yeah, and... It is interesting that you um, that you point out to the, let's say, overall global economic situation, and and it is right that we've seen that as part of our report that effectively uh, the investment into sports tech companies from last financial year to this financial year effectively has halved. But on the flip side, sport is I think one of those industries that's relatively recession proof, and and we saw through the pandemic, like we did see in so many other industries, that the digital transformation of the industry actually accelerated the growth that some companies experienced. And so as a, as a more positive outlook, I think what we uncover now is that a lot of the sports tech companies are actually working on the cutting edge of technology and therefore are, are well-primed to take advantage of, of these opportunities that are around there. And and it is a, a little bit of a situation where this, this financial context we are in is actually driving greater efficiency. And so there is a greater appetite from the mainstream of sport 
to be able to bring in new tech because it can save money? Is is that creating an avenue of opportunity for our businesses? Yes, it is because, uh, as you and I know, I mean, uh, sport has uh, has always been strapped for resources. I think it's a it's a fact that uh, at the at the uh, back end of COVID, the the willingness uh, from uh, by by in general the population to volunteer and 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 participate in certain things has been reduced. So therefore, sport um, is has not been excluded, and technology can provide uh, a way to automate certain processes, simplify certain interactions. And so therefore, yes, I believe that technology plays a role and, and the impact that technology can help or, or can provide can actually help the industry to, to weather through this. And look, and we've seen also in other industries that that ideas that are born um, through, let's say, a crisis or through hard times will actually be so much better once once things loosen up or 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 return to more more uh steady steady waters yeah and we'll dive into what you did mention about the uh, merger and acquisition activity so it's literally been cut in half in the last 12 months from a billion dollars australian into 500 million up uh, for companies that are essentially desperate for cash. They need cash injection and they're trying to navigate this time. Like things will brighten up, of course. Martin, what advice would you have? How do they hang tough through this time where perhaps it's harder to be able to get that stimulus? Um, and how do they hold through and get through to the other end? What's your advice? Look, it's probably... You, you, if if I were found out in, in this, at this point of time, you have to be very targeted. It's not a question of, of quantity. And in terms of like sending out as many uh, contact requests or or pitch decks to to people, it, it's got to be very very targeted, and you got to be very mindful to understand what is the investment thesis of of uh, a venture a capital um, fund that you are approaching. Uh, have they done similar investments uh, in in your field? So therefore, you need to understand. What market verticals are you playing in? What technology technologies are you using? And that's why that's why our report has now been used by so many so many sports tech founders to actually actually crystallize. Okay, these are the market verticals that ASTN introduced. I'm servicing this or that, and these are the technologies uh, that I'm using to build my product or or provide my my service, and when you do that you you actually provide some clarity also to uh to the uh stakeholders in terms of where you sit on the landscape map and are you seeing particular areas martin you know i mean it's interesting in your innovation report and it's always a surprising stat i mean it shouldn't because we see it every year but only 14 percent of the sports tech market is actually on elite and professional sport. I mean, it's as I say, it makes sense, but it's always somewhat surprising. The huge boom area seems to be, and this is something you foreshadowed 
actually in 2021 when we spoke about this, you said this is going to be the big way uh, moving forward out of the COVID time. But mass participation and active living, that segment now makes up 56% of sports technology. So we're talking about fitness, health, community, social, etc. Um, you were always a big one on the, the way that sport and health can intersect. Can you describe what you're seeing now in that segment of the economy? Yeah, so let me step back. Uh, and, and your analysis, Lockie, is, is right. Um, traditionally in, in Australia, we've always focused on, the, uh, on technology used in professional and, and elite uh, sporting applications. And, and that's effectively, a, I think, a, a, a reflection of the great uh, sports science, the, uh, the university research, and then obviously uh, the, the, the birth of catapult sports, um, the, the amazing things that the AIS and, and the state sporting institutes are doing. So we've always focused on like the athlete and and the activity on the pitch, but as you recall, we 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 advocated and said sports tech is much more than only on the field; it's also all the stuff off the field. And if you particularly now look at mass participation and active living, like all these wearables and sensors and devices that previously only were available to athletes have been democratized, and and we. we we use in one form or another a wrist-based mini computer now with with a multitude of sensors tracking what we do. And, and so technology has actually enabled um, tracking beyond competitive sport in the recreational area. I mean, most of running and cycling and, and skating and these kind of activities actually occur outside of organized sport. But we're now having the means to actually track what people are doing. Well, and it's interesting you say that. I think now uh, Tiffany Cherry from Golf Australia, I think it was Tiff was saying it's 80% of golfers don't step on a golf course in Australia. So in other words, they're playing mini golf, they're going to a driving range, etc. So as you say, there is this huge market there to be captured. And Sarah Cook, the CEO of of Rowing Australia, a great Olympian of this country, Sarah was saying that what they're trying to do through sports technology is engaging people with rowing machines and sort of the gamification and and the sports tech around that. So it's not necessarily your Olympic athletes that are competing for Australia. It's people in their living room that are trying to get some cardio in before going to work. How do we capture those people, not just always look for the, the latest uh, high school student that's going to be our next Olympic star? Um, so how are you seeing that, Martin, and, and the way in which our sports tech businesses can try to further incentivize sports to look beyond the traditional pillars of their sport? Yeah, so one one of the themes in, in, in terms of looking up into, into the future is uh, what we call, obviously, virtual sports, but it's, it's more than esports and the, and the sports of tomorrow. It's also those emerging new sports. And you see this, obviously, with... Uh, the ever-expanding lineup of Olympic sports and and uh, new leagues and 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 uh, short forms or other forms of sports developing, and I think I think as a country we we have to embrace it. Um, one thing is that we will actually will will actually be working and doing some research, obviously, on these themes going forward. 
my colleague John Persico has has started that. He will participate in in the esports Olympic event in Singapore uh, and go there. So I, I see that that there's other forms of of activities that that are that are sport um, that are classified as sport. Technology has enabled us to to uh, track or or measure what's what's being done and. There's even examples um, that that let's say local governments are using these these mass curated data points to then inform investment decisions. So, for instance, the city of Amsterdam, they are now building their infrastructure where they are paving jogging trails or cycling trails based on data that they derive or purchase from some of these companies that that uh, have the mass participation data through through activity tracking yeah it's interesting you say that i mean um james allender recently was poached by the afl to head up their huge development through western sydney but james allender who spent a long time at active exchange and fulfilling a, a very similar role across the world and particularly in australia around that you know capturing data and helping the key stakeholders in government and also private sector make decisions around this. Uh, Martin, do, do you see that there's more room for growth in that, that you know, the ability for data to tell a story, to make smarter decisions for government? So often in the past, we've seen these sort of white elephant uh, sporting infrastructure pieces that don't get used properly. There's inefficiencies. As we build towards 2032, what we've heard from Sterling Hinchcliffe, the Minister of Sport in Queensland, is a great desire to create a lasting legacy. How do you think our sports tech businesses can help the Queensland government and help our country create that legacy around Queensland and Brisbane 2032? Yeah, it's it's obviously around, um, let's say, the new and emerging sports. That's 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 one avenue, but I think there's a there's another uh, thought here, and that's that's about around data sharing. And aggregation and big data analysis, because if you if you think about it, we and and even in elite sport, they use so many different systems, so many different gadgets, and and we're not not different in our in our daily lives. I think the next really big wave will come actually from combining all of these isolated data points, and then and then. Obviously, the term big data analysis and 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 deriving information from a, a variety of things. So for the sports tech companies, it, it, it means you have to think about interoperability, how to exchange data. I mean, um, from a technical point of view, uh, APIs. But then there's also a flip side. Obviously, the 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 privacy, the security of data and, and all of these things. So by and large i think we we have an opportunity if we if we embrace that going forward to test and trial certain things in sport and develop them with the greater good in mind which then can be translated in other into other industries it's so crucial what you're talking about and it's interesting you know i um we had alicia nagel on the show founder of zonely a great new south wales startup business using golf as a mechanism to bring people together to create greater uh, social, mental, and physical health. And Alicia has been on the podcast and talking about 
just the, the extent to which we do need that greater approach to the community, whereby it is a bit of that all in together to try and create better results. I mean, going into COVID, Australia's overweight and obesity level was at 67%. Now that's pre-lockdown. I can't imagine lockdown was any good for that number. So we're still waiting on the latest stats from the ABS. But yeah, Martin, do you see that as being something of, of great importance, whereby for our collective health of our society, that we've just got to bring that trust aspect to the fore? James Allender from Active Exchange previously was saying that the problem with big data sharing is a lot of people are very protective of their data. There's a lack of trust. Yeah. So what advice do you have to try and help alleviate those trust concerns to help service the better, the greater good, as you speak of, of Australia as a community? Yeah, so so I, I think there's a there's a couple of, of business models that could be derived from that. We we all are effectively aware that we that we pay with our data in the commercial world. Uh, in terms of being then exposed to advertisement or the companies that are collating the data, collecting the data, uh, using aggregated data to then uh, provide other insights that might be of interest to to someone. So maybe there is even a a, a uh, government model here that if I start to share my data, I might get other benefits. Maybe I can get a, a get a, a tax reduction. Or a discount somewhere. Um, multiple companies have tried that, um, where you where you could um, combine, let's say, your activities with reward points, and even the the government in Singapore, the Health Promotion Board, they have done that with micro um, credits that people get if they achieve certain activities every day for 30 minutes, they'll get uh, micro vouchers for supermarket for healthy food and things like that. And and so there's these examples emerging where, where I think we're going to get into the situation where it's no longer just, yeah, I'll share my data and, and I'll pay by having to look at ads, but I actively share because I'm going to get another benefit uh, beyond um <laughs> advertising and things like that. It's really interesting you say that, and it's a very sort of forward-looking um, point of view, and I haven't heard it actually said before in quite that way, but it's funny. It's tapping into another ASTM member we had on recently, Courtney Smith of Firefly, essentially doing the same sort of thing, but around the extent to which people volunteer in sport and in the community and being rewarded credits mm. for that. So it's that same sort of mechanism, um, just working on sports volunteering, um, which is obviously so crucial to the survival of sport, particularly at the grassroots community level. Um, now, we did mention before you were talking about uh, you know gamification, esports, fan engagement, that sort of broader cluster of activity. Um, ASTN ran the Open Innovation Challenge last year with the Melbourne Renegades. And it's funny because you also mentioned the idea of sports tech helping to create greater efficiency, solve problems for existing traditional sports. Cricket's a sport that's been going on for 200 years. Uh, the Melbourne Renegades are a great club within the Big Bash League. They wanted tech to come in and really help to create a greater connection with fans. Um, and you created the Open Innovation Challenge with the Renegades. And it was Spark Up Studios, Luke Santa Maria, that ended up winning the big competition and has now worked with the Renegades for the last seven months. Um, 
What are you seeing in that fan engagement space? We can reflect on SparkUp and the Renegades and what they're doing, but broadly speaking, uh, in fan engagement and gamification. Yeah, so so that is an interesting um, segment that actually sits in the business of sport uh, and, and entertainment. And so um, I, I think if sport accepts the um, the notion that it is in for, a, a form of entertainment, then then that thought process opens you up to a lot of other things. So you have to then uh, center around the stadium in stadium experience, and that's what a, what a, uh, what, what the core of the of the challenge um, that we worked on with the Renegades was. How can you how can you enhance the in stadium experience using technology, and how can you in, in, encourage more people to actually go and leave their home when the um, broadcasting experience has been so much enhanced to then actually go into the stadium, and and obviously a lot of things have been tried from gamification for, to providing insights almost like. You can you can now get stats as 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 if you were sitting on on the coaching bench and and, and see some of these decisions, but I always think the core is sport has to if, if you accept it that sport is some form of entertainment, all of these engagement tools only work if the core product is is the core offering is is of value to to the audience so. Whatever sport you play, whatever uh, field you're competing on, I think that's got to be core, and then you got to think about enhancing it. Because there's also there's also people that are saying, well, the second screen experience in the stadium is actually distracting people from what's going on on the pitch or on the field or or in the competition. So I think there's got to be there's got to be a balance there, yeah. but we've also got to acknowledge that. Uh, a, a, the new generation of of patrons in the stadium do want to get a different form of entertainment, and and therefore, mm. the Renegades was an example of where they built certain activities before the game, during the game, and then after the game, which were, which were delivered to to enhance that. But it's it's I think it's all about keeping it within what is your core product again, and then and then tying it together rather than just pushing out gimmicks out there here. Yeah. And it's funny you talk about striking that balance. Uh, Chris Smiles from Smartform Architecture was on the show and speak. they've just done the the gigantic quarter of a billion dollar redevelopment at Marvel Stadium. I mean, what an incredible performance they've pulled off Smartform Architecture. And he was speaking about that that balance, you know, always keep the fan front of mind. Mm. What what do they really want from their in-match, in-stadium experience? Martin, you know, one of the big topics at the minute is artificial intelligence. And we're seeing some of the, the pioneers of the industry now grabbing the handbrake and saying, hey, we just need to, you know, pump the pump the brakes. Um, where do you see AI and and where do you what advice would you have for all, all the people listening across all the different aspects of the industry, how they apply it, their approach to it, the ethics, you know, AI. It's it's a it's a real it's so many. There's more question marks than answers at the minute. I think fundamentally we 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 have to ask ourselves with any any technology. It's not technology for technology's sake. 
So what underlying business question are we trying to solve? And then in particular, with regards to AI is, can we, can we automate something? Can we uh, make something more accurate by using certain tools, but it's got to be linked back to an essential business question. And Yes, we we are looking, and we will be looking because it's it's obviously an, a very very important theme. We will be looking at sort of like ethics frameworks and and the question about um, there's a there's a question or there's a framework that has been developed by the CSIRO about responsible AI. So we believe that we will actually want to engage and and see what does that mean for sport. How do we how do we take advantage of of all of that great work that's done around Australia by by the various groups? But how do we translate that into sport and and actually then derive actions out of that? That the startups, uh, the the sporting organisations, um, the boards, everybody across the stakeholder landscape can actually can actually use as a little bit of a of a roadmap. Yeah, so that's our plan. Um, in terms of AI, I mean the 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 opportunities uh, seem to be seem to be um, I wouldn't call it limitless, but there's there's a lot of very interesting things happening from from obviously um, image analysis, video recognition, pose recognition, and all these kind of things. But we got to link it back to okay, how does it how does it help? Either on an essential business question, or how can it enhance the the experience that that somebody has? Martin, a gut feel. Do you think it's something that we are going to be able to control? Is it going to be something that serves us, or are we going to end up serving it? That's the the big question at the minute. Is the genie out of the bottle? Is it too late, or or do you think we are truly going to be able to? work with a great harmony with AI where you know humanity retains the upper hand well look and and so that that question actually has been has been debated obviously uh, in the US but also in Europe uh, people have developed frameworks around it um, I mean in in Europe there's a there's a notion to say we want to understand um, not only the biases that come and and potentially are are, are built into uh, into systems that make recommendations, but also more so or more so the what they call the explainability to actually rationally be able to trace why an algorithm has made certain certain suggestions. So the EU does some work. We we, we recently obviously heard from. From the U.S. Uh, Senate inquiries, uh, where where um, uh, the people in the industry says we we do need some regulation. So I, I do think that there is a need to say, okay, what's the framework here that we're gonna we're gonna work uh, under or work within, and and call it guardrails. Some people have talked about uh, guardrails and things like that. Um. So so yes, I think, and that's why that's why. Um, for instance, that responsible AI framework I was mentioning earlier. These are these are things that we do look uh, look at, and it's 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 also things that that you probably wouldn't have. Um, or I mean, I didn't I didn't really uh, appreciate that. But 
when I was in in um, uh, Boston in March for the sports analytics conference, I listened to a very very interesting um, presentation um, by a high performance coach, and she she talked about that even the algorithms that we that are used in in the wearable devices are biased towards data that's derived from male athletes. So she was giving actually examples of how these algorithms could make incorrect suggestions or recommendations for for women athletes. So I'm, I'm saying there's there's a couple of things where we have to we have to probably stop and think about it. But um, I mean I'm I can't I can't uh, uh, profess that I'm an AI expert. But if you listen to the experts um, around the world, they are now saying there's got to be some form of regulation. And so it's 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 probably depending on what jurisdiction you're going to work in, there is a, a, a thought process that that role has to be also taken up to a certain point by governments. It is a fascinating space. Um, and AI is actually number one in the top 10 themes that ASTN have declared coming out of this 2023 innovation report. They are the trends and new opportunities. AI, number one. Active living, fitness and wellness, number two. We've discussed that. Web3, metaverse, gaming and blockchain. Um, and then at number four, virtual sports of tomorrow. Number five is smart apparel, equipment and wearables. Number six, ESG. Number seven, sports, digital ethics, privacy and security. Number eight, I want to discuss this with you, Martin. Um, ASTN in the last 12 months have created a, a wonderful collaboration with women in sports tech, Mary Lou McFarlane out of San Francisco, California. Can you tell us about what ASTN and women in sports tech are doing to create a greater situation for women and girls in sports technology? Yeah, so so the the, the partnership really accelerated when once we had an opportunity to actually meet um, with the team of of WIST in in the US, and it's it's really aimed at at a, at a couple of things. One, we do want to increase the percentage. Or the proportion of female founders in our industry, and I think it's also about attracting a diverse range of of um, inputs and thoughts and skills and experiences into into a fairly male dominated industry, which which it is at at the moment. Mm -hmm. So, WIST has done some some wonderful work, obviously in in the US of 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 raising. Or making people aware of of the discussion um, and and outlining a couple of of opportunities, and I think I think what what attracted uh, us was this notion that you also have to attract people from outside of the industry to come in with their skill sets, with their experiences, to see how they can deploy that or, or contribute to the sports industry. So, and that's something that, that WIST has done um, quite successfully. So we're looking, we're looking obviously to sharing their learnings. We're, we're looking to, um, along the lines of our educational um, masterclass series, um, our, our mentoring to provide, uh, to provide our founders with, with different insights. But then also to tap into the the WIST network of of um, 
experts of impact investors that are that are emerging in the US or that are available in the US because um, and it ties to to what we talked uh, talked about earlier. It, it is that you need to make these these qualified introductions and, th- and that's where where these kind of international collaborations will definitely help us. You speak about um, role models in this space. Um, one of the absolute best, both as an athlete, Olympic gold medalist, our greatest ever winter Olympian, and as a business person, Lydia Lassila, who has recently come on board as an ASTN global ambassador, her company's Body Ice and also Zone by Lydia, um, really helping ASTN push further into Europe. As we record this, Martin, and probably when most people listen to it, you'll actually be in Paris. But as we record this, you're about to get on a flight to Paris uh, for a trade mission where you are going to be pushing the case of Australian sports tech into a, a huge, a huge marketplace that is Europe. Um, can you tell us how important having Lydia Lassila and also George Gregan, our great Wallaby captain, World Cup winner, having George Gregan and Lydia Lassila on board as ambassadors pushing our technology to the world, how important that is, but also how important this trade mission to Europe is to get Australian sports tech on the front foot on the continent of Europe? Yeah, so I think there's a couple of of aspects here. So one, both Lydia and George, obviously highly, highly successful athletes in their own right, have have used their subject matter expertise to actually create businesses. And we're seeing that more and more that elite athletes, because they have really uh, a, a long, long time of disciplined work in in whatever uh, field that they they have been they've been performing at, they all have very, very deep insights and subject matter expertise. And we're seeing this more and more that that athletes are actually thinking, well, yes, I can be probably an ambassador in terms of a brand ambassador to a big brand, but I'm passionate about what I learned. I, I have some deep insights. I might build a business out of it that that um, that I can be passionate about uh, after my active uh, career as, as an athlete. So both Lydia and and, and George represent that new form of of athlete starting to build businesses and and there's many many other examples as well but both of them also embrace this notion that we have from an ASTN point of view of saying you the the born global die local so the the the, the mantra that if you build a sports tech business in Australia you're effectively destined to to go global with that idea because we are at the end here in Australia a small market in terms of population. We're a sophisticated and and diverse, a diversified uh, or diverse sports market or sports industry, but it's limited. And so, both of those, like many others that we've now in in our in our group, um, embrace that going global. and And it also helps then our startups to say. Hey, look at these examples of of people going overseas, and there's obviously many sports tech companies that have done that, either uh, starting to sell and export or or do business overseas, um, move overseas, 
get investment from overseas. So so there's a there's a number of things, and the trade mission is really that that activity that the ASTN can can provide by opening up our networks, our connections, and make them accessible to the companies that that want to go into that direction. Mm. Well, you've been able to foster so much growth, and and it, there are some amazing stories of Aussie businesses doing exactly what you've just said, where they've taken their Aussie product and gone to the world, and being it's been able to really catch fire. Like someone who will be with you in Paris is Paul Hoon, CEO of eTrainU, and they're an extraordinary story. Like pre-COVID, they had thirty clients. Now, actually, I was with Paul in Brisbane the other day when they signed up their thousandth client. So they've gone from 30 clients to more than 1,000, and such a huge swathe of them are overseas. Like, I mean, it's it's amazing, really, the, to see that sort of growth. There are so many success stories, Martin, and the role that ASTN has played across the industry is extraordinary. I mean, 11 years ago, it was an industry worth $250 million. Now it's worth $4.25 billion. So you've literally put on $4 billion in a decade, ASTN have founded the industry, they've fostered the industry, and now you're seeing it grow and grow and grow. Martin, congratulations to you and the team from ASTN and what you've done. There are 13,438 people who have a job today, thanks to sports technology. Each individual, it's such a special story for them being able to go to work, do something they love. ASTN is helping to create a new economy for Australia as we move from old tech to new tech and you're giving people a job and a purpose in life. Congratulations, everything you've done, mate. And uh, I can't wait to have you back on the show in 12 months' time, hopefully. The the story continues to go even further up into the stars, mate. Yeah, thank you, Lockie. And and, and one thing I do have to say, it's actually the companies that are doing doing that great work uh, as a not-for-profit. We're, we're basically facilitating that by providing them a platform, advocating on their behalf, and and effectively trying to connect the dots so that people have it a little bit easier can mitigate the risk uh, of of building a sports tech company and that ultimately as you said if that um if that growth that these companies experience um in their own right then that is effectively the manifestation of our success oh you've done it in sublime fashion uh, dr martin schlegel thank you very much for your time Thanks again for having me, Lockie. Looking forward to next time. You've been listening to Sports Cutting Edge for the Australian Sports Technologies Network. For more, jump online at astn.com.au.